0: And good afternoon. I want to thank all my good friends up here at BNN, emanating from Boston Neighborhood Network. This is Chuck Morse. Welcome to the program. Welcome to my guest, Zvi Karnigsberg. He is the author of *The
1: Lost Temple
0: of Israel*. Zvi, how are you?
1: Very good, Chuck. Good to be here. Thank you,
0: Zvi. Your book is is quite unique, and it goes back to your uh, emigrating to Israel after the Six Day War, and while in Israel, you got involved in an architectural adventure. uh, Archaeological. Archaeological, thank you very much. I'll be all right. An archaeological adventure which uh, led you to write this book. It led you to some very unique discoveries along with several other people. The uh, premise of the book, the evidence you uncovered, indicates that there is another temple in Israel than the temple that we assume is the first temple in Jerusalem and that this temple, or the archeological evidence of this temple, is in a part of Israel called Samaria. It's at Mount Ebal, which is outside of Nablus, and that it uh, dates back several centuries before the, uh, the Temple of David. So talk about the, uh, the lost temple of Israel, as you call it.
1: Uh, thank you, Chuck. Let's talk about Rembrandt, uh, if we can, for a moment. Uh, You'll be seeing in a moment the picture of Rembrandt uh, depicting a chapter in the book of Genesis, there we go, chapter 48. Now for those who didn't read the book but maybe saw the play on Broadway or elsewhere, the Joseph with the coat of many colors is the guy wearing the funny hat in the middle. That's Joseph, the son of Jacob. Jacob is lying in bed because he's very old and he's about to pass away. And the idea in Genesis 48 is that Jacob wants to bless the two sons of Joseph, Manasseh and Ephraim. There's another character here. The lady in the picture is the wife of Joseph, but in Genesis 48, she is absent. But that's not the only thing difference in the text of Genesis 48 and the Rembrandt picture, a whole bunch of differences. And the two sons primarily should be our focus of interest. You see the one closer to the grandfather, Uh, that's Manasseh. His coloring is a bit off, and the younger son, Ephraim, has the hands of Jacob upon his head. And if you notice, there's a little halo above his head in the original painting. It's a bit difficult to see on TV. And in the biblical story, it has Jacob crossing his arms and placing his right arm, the more important, on the head of the younger instead of the elder Manasseh. Now, usually in antiquity, the elder son was more important. And you put the right hand, the more important hand, if you want to bless him, on his head. And Jacob does what you can call a switcheroo. And for 3,000 years, people have been wondering why. Now let's see what Rembrandt's interpretation of that is. If you notice, the younger son with the halo on the head is actually crossing his arms. The sign of the cross, Christianity. And what Rembrandt, according to most art critics, is depicting here is the transfer Of sanctity, basically, from Judaism to the new religion of Christianity. That's the interpretation of Rembrandt, who of course was a Christian. The solution, though, to some of the problematics that we encountered in defining the site we excavated as the Temple of Israel are found precisely in this picture, and we'll come back to it at the end. Now, what we should do, There's the book that I wrote depicting all of this, The Lost Temple of Israel.
0: Now Zvi, what this has to do with the excavation at Mount Ebal is that um, because Jacob in the picture as depicted was blessing Ephraim, not Manasseh, but Mount Ebal is in the territory that is delineated as part of Manasseh's territory. So there is, was something going on here politically.
1: There certainly was, which we don't know, but something happened which we'll refer to at the end because okay. we're going to show that again. But uh, I'd really like to show you a the slide, slide yeah. of the before a mound the, of rocks. Now, the, this,
0: this is, now, this is actually, this, this slide is actually Mount de
1: Yes, this is Mount de Bal. Now, um, my good friend, Professor Adam Zertal, an archaeologist who was a full professor at Haifa University, did a survey of the area that the Bible ascribes to the tribe of Manasseh. Now what does the survey mean? If you, well, many people have been, if you haven't been, you've seen the pictures, things on TV, uh, excavating in places like Athens and Rome and Jerusalem, well-known cities in London even, And these are very painstaking, expensive ventures, very expensive. Now, what archaeologists have found is that it's very efficient to get a good idea of an entire area by doing a survey. What does a survey mean? It means you physically walk over every square yard of a given area, usually having some historical significance, and you look for signs of antiquity. Now, the signs that you're going to find very rarely are in the form of complete uh, buildings, because aside from the many wars, especially in Israel, you have the fact that people took old stones from older periods and used them in their more modern homes, so everything gets mixed up. But the one thing that really doesn't get mixed up is pottery. Now, pottery was easy to make, easy to break, and always remains in the vicinity. So what happens, you gotta go to a particular hilltop and you find 100 pieces of pottery, and you know that 20% belong to period A, 30% to period B, uh, et cetera, and you get a map, basically, of who lived where, when, how. And this is great uh, information for historical research, excellent infrastructure for historical research. After that long story, my friend Adam Zertal came upon that pile of stones that we just saw on April 6, 1980. A year and a half later, he met me, now, uh, and told me about it. And I was very, very interested, because this was on Mount Ebal, and Mount Ebal is mentioned in the Bible. It's mentioned in Deuteronomy 27, verse four. It's mentioned in Joshua 8, 30 as the site of an altar that Moses commanded the children of Israel to build at this mountain. And Joshua, according to the Bible, did it. And very exciting, and it was even more exciting because the pottery that was discovered there, the site was entirely uh, from a period known as Iron One, which historical consensus basically uh, says that that's the time of the entrance to the land of Israel. So I happen to have been mayor of this little town closest to this site, and I supplied to the expedition the logistics that they needed instead of money, because money they didn't have. My friend Adam, uh, to this day, lives on a kibbutz, which is a collective uh, farm, and what they do in their spare time is milk cows and stuff like that, and they, they don't really make rap music for money. So uh, any logistics that I could give would help, and we began to work, and make a very long story short, we came upon a structure beneath that pile of stones that you were looking at, and one evening we were sitting having a cup of coffee in the middle of, actually it was the 13th of October 1983, a date I will not forget. We were sitting, having a cup of coffee, watching everyone wash the pottery that was taken out of the excavation that day. And Adam was doing a little drawing. Now, a more sophisticated sample of that drawing is in the next slide. But he drew something that I was very familiar with. This is uh, this is done by a gentleman known as uh, named uh, Lynn Rittmeyer. Big, um, he's an arch- architect and an archaeologist, and he's the drawings of things like this. And this is what it, the archaeologist thought it would look like when we're done. And I saw this; I knew exactly what we were looking at because in the next, I ran to the library, brought him a book, which is on the next slide, and this is from the Mishnah. What is the Mishnah? The Mishnah is the... It's the Talmud. Uh, well, the Talmud is the includes Incl- two yeah. parts, yes. the Mishnah and the, and the Gemara. The Mishnah is the um, first code of Jewish law, basically written after the Bible around 200 AD. And this particular chapter and verse described the altar of the temple that was around during the time of King Herod and consequently, of course, Jesus. And the description here and what we found in the field were so, so similar as to enable easily the identification of this site as what the Bible was talking about in Deuteronomy 27, verse 4, and in Joshua 8, verse 30, and if we are correct, of course, this is the first time in history ever that anything mentioned in the five books of Moses, known as the Pentateuch, the earliest books of the Hebrew Bible, was ever discovered in the land of Israel, and that is... Well, that's uh, incredible. So
0: this particular site, this site of worship on Mount Debal, it dates several centuries earlier than... David's city and Solomon's temple. Talking uh, about
1: between 200 and 250 years earlier.
0: And that's something that's been dated by archaeological Oh, the dating is unquestionable because...
1: uh, Let me give you uh, just a rudimentary understanding of what dating is all about. If you go to the Western Wall that everybody's heard of in Jerusalem and uh, you excavate it, Uh, which people did at the time, you find a certain type of pottery so you know that everything above it is later and everything below it is earlier. And That way you build up a knowledge of relative uh, dating of pottery and then alongside with that you have the dating of organic material by Mm carbon-14 and in this case they matched up perfectly and uh, the site was active around 1200 BC. So
0: this is probably the oldest site that is evidence of an israelite worship site, worship scene found in israel well it's is not worship
1: see the, uh, worship sacrifices, sacrifices, came sacrifices came before worship worship when they couldn't sacrifice anymore and there was no temple that's when they started to the worship roughly Understood. Understood. even though the worship started just a bit, just a bit before then maybe they had a good idea that the temple <laughs> was so on the way to getting So this is where they were doing birth. the
0: sacrifices that are talked about in the books of Moses. Yes. Okay.
1: See, we found uh, over 3,000 pieces of bone which amazingly enough corresponded precisely to those described in the book of Leviticus chapter 1 which are uh, one year male sheep, cattle, and goats. I see. All of the bones were exactly that.
0: Now when what this indicates then is that this was the first temple
1: uh, we haven't gotten there yet okay. but we're getting there because about a year later well, this, uh, I just want you to understand what this set off a level of curiosity in all of us there but especially mm-hmm. in me uh, as to what is going on here how come we're finding this where we're finding it after 300 excuse me, 3,300 years. Correct. And what is the significance? And the, the areas that it touches upon are so, so many, and history, and theology, and Bible study, and understanding tradition, and you name it. But it really became interesting a bit later on when one of the archaeologists drawing there was d- doing a drawing of a topographic map of the entire site which is the next slide. Um, You can see in the topographic map an outer enclosure, and you can see an inner enclosure. And this is, of course, from the walls that were jutting out all around, we were able to figure out. Now, we were able to see that the height of these walls were about one meter, about 40 inches. So they weren't built for defensive purposes, but they were built as some kind of uh, cultic enclosure. Now we see the outer one and the inner one. We see the altars inside the inner one. And as soon as I saw this, it reminded me of what we have on the next slide, something very, very well known, with the same kind of principle, which is uh, this is a model of the uh, second temple area in Jerusalem where you have the outer wall, the inner wall, and all the activities are taking place inside the inner wall. And it set me thinking, maybe, what we found here is not only the site of an altar, but actually the site of an Israelite temple, which is an extremely exciting concept, Mm -hmm. if we can prove it. Yes. And that is the crux of the matter. How did we...
0: So how did you prove that this was an, an Israelite temple? Okay. That dates dates back that far.
1: I consulted with two people, one alive and one dead, and the one who was alive, unfortunately, passed away last week. That was Professor Menachem Haran of the Hebrew University, who wrote the latest book on Israelite temples. And he was the greatest uh, authority in that area. And we had a five-year running discussion on uh, what we found versus what he described in his book as the criteria for temple. Bottom line, at the end of five years, he says, you know what, maybe you're right, Mm -hmm. which was a very big thing to hear from me (laughs) after spending five years uh, trying to convince him. Now, what is a temple? First of all, we have the outer wall and the inner wall that we saw. We saw a full burnt offering altar, which of course is a necessary criteria. And if you look at the next slide, you'll see uh, an incense altar. How do we know this is an incense altar? Because this is made of volcanic stone, by the way, and on top there was actually burnt uh, incense, and uh, similar altars were discovered by a very well-known archaeologist called Petri at the end of the 19th century. He was one of the fathers of modern archaeology. Mm -hmm. He found these in uh, the Sinai Desert, exactly the same thing. So we know what their purpose was in a very obvious cultic framework. Put all of these things together, and you have a temple.
0: Mm -hmm. So you then went on and discovered these... um gold, silver, and bronze earrings.
1: Well, if you go to the book of Exodus chapter 12, verse 35, if I remember correctly, I do remember correctly, Mm -hmm. uh, you see that the uh, Israelites took from Egypt gold and silver. Now, uh, that's the next slide. You will see gold and silver earrings of Egyptian design that were buried deliberately at the site as gifts to the holy site. Now, burying items of value at a holy site is something that was very common in the ancient Near East, so we know that that was the purpose of it. But then again, these earrings may have been purchased in the local marketplace, so there's really no way you can tie them back to an exodus. But the next slide contains something. Oh, yeah that is a bit more interesting. Now, this is, this will look big on your TV screen, but it's actually the size of about half a thumb. It's called a scarab. A scarab served as the ancient seal of ancient Egypt. You see the top is a salamander, the head on the left. In hieroglyphics, the salamander means many. Now, on the right, in the middle, There is a crouching soldier. His head is obliterated, but you see one arm outstretched, holding a double bow. And you see him crouching, and you see both knees. And that, of course, is a symbol of a soldier. So we're talking about many soldiers. And the bottom uh, incision, which looks like a smiley uh, kind of face, is actually lord of. Okay. On the left, you have an oblong enclosure with some symbols in the middle. That is called a cartouche. A cartouche is the personal sign of the person who owns it, usually a king. And this, if you remember the movie, was Yul Brynner, Okay, Mm -hmm. Ramses II in the Ten Commandments. This was the personal seal of Ramses II. And this was also buried deliberately at this site. Now, how do we know that? Uh, we ask people to understand these things, and there's a gentleman in uh, Jerusalem, Baruch Brendel is his name. Uh, he did the research on this and he found that ex- three exactly like this one were discovered to date two in Egypt, one in Cyprus, but all three at sites actually built by Ramses II. Now, our site did not contain any uh, Egyptian characteristics at all and definitely was not built by, uh, by Ramses. The only conclusion that we can come to is that someone was actually in the court of Ramses, took it through the desert and brought it eventually into the land and buried it on purpose precisely where we found it as a gift again the holy site, and if we are correct in this assumption, then we have uncovered possibly the first extra-biblical evidence of the Exodus, which again is no small
0: thing. No, it's huge. I mean, it's incredible that Ramesses' seal would end up at the site in ancient Canaan at uh, Mount Ebal. That says that um, it was either, as you say, brought there by um, the Exodus, the Jews coming out of Egypt and then co- reconquering the land under, under Joshua. Or uh, maybe to, possibly Ramses himself or, or some one of his ambassadors may have gone there. Maybe,
1: but I've spoken to uh, a good number of the most important Egyptologists who deal with these issues, mm-hmm. and I presented them this hypothesis. I think this is a result of the Exodus, give me an alternate explanation, and no one can. Sure. There is simply is no other rational uh, explanation for this thing being where we found it. And it's also not, not the kind of uh, item that you could purchase in the local market. No, These, it's very it's rare, extremely. very valuable. And we know that it was there's an archaeological term in situ, which means in place. And this was definitely deliberately buried at this spot as a gift to the, to the holy site. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we have it looks like we have it, yes.
0: That's the um, so-called smoking gun that in all of this.
1: That could very well be the smoking gun. Now, uh, the, how did I come to all of this? And this is something I really think I should share with you all, because the morning... The same evening that we were all excited by looking at the pictures uh, comparing what we found to what was in the Second Temple uh, altar, uh, Adam phoned up a very nice and interesting gentleman called Benjamin Mazar, actually it was Professor Benjamin Mazar. He was at one time president of the Hebrew University for a decade. And he actually conducted the excavations in the area next to the Western Wall in Jerusalem in 1967 after the Six-Day War. Very, very well-known, very well-respected. And Adam asked me if I can pick him up and bring him to the site, and I did. And that was the first of many, many, many meetings with this. He was retired at the time already, and I... Would make a, I made a habit of going to his house to visit him about once a month. He used to give me a pile of books. He said, go home, read this, come back, we discuss. And this went on for a decade. And everything I know I know from him, I don't have a doctorate in these areas, but his education was not a bad thing to have and gave me a pretty good idea of what this is all about. So for 10 years we're sitting and discussing these things, in between joking around and politics and stuff like that. And I would tell him, Benjamin, listen, this is a temple. And he would say, yeah, maybe yes, maybe no. Until one day, and now we come back to the last slide, which again is the same as the first slide, which is the story of Rembrandt. Uh, Rembrandt gave me the solution well, not Rembrandt, actually, Genesis 48, that Mm -hmm. he is describing. Why did it give me this? What is the solution here? Very interesting. The tribe of Manasseh was north of the tribe of Ephraim. Jerusalem was is in the area between Benjamin and Judah, south of that. The site that we excavated, we don't have a handle exactly on the beginning, somewhere between 1250 to 1220 BC. But we do know that by 1150, this site was completely abandoned and covered up deliberately the way we found it and the way you saw it in that slide.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The day after we made that big uh, discovery and I was returning Professor Mazar to his home in Jerusalem, I suggested that we stop at a well-known archaeological site called Shiloh. And there was a Professor Finkelstein excavating there, very well-known. and. Ten years after the fact, I remembered that I, I had asked Professor Finkelstein, when do you think Shiloh began to function as a central cultic site of Israel? And he said 1150. We're
0: going to take a, a brief break for some uh, okay. messages. And uh, when we come back, we'll continue the conversation about the, uh, w- what was going on in Shiloh and also in the Ebal, which predates the, um, the events of Shiloh. And uh, the site in Shiloh is very well known, of course. That's covered extensively in the uh, book of uh, Judges and, uh, I believe, book of Samuel. That's so, true. I mean, that's right where, on both counts. All right. So that's where, where the, um, the the Ark of the Covenant was kept, uh, according to to um, those great uh, documents. But we'll be back after this, we're going to talk a little bit about how it is that... Um, Mount Ebal precedes the um, this, the place of worship of, of Shiloh.